as you read through the Bible and you get to the account of Jacob, it's here where, where you will see the roots of the kingdom of Israel. Because the, the nation of Israel was made up of 12 tribes, and these 12 tribes came from the 12 sons of Jacob. And today, we actually get into who those 12 sons are and how they were born. But before we get into that, here's what we've seen so far as we've worked through the life of Jacob. First of all, we've seen that Jacob is anything but a hero. He is flawed, he's deceptive, he's manipulative. In fact, he had to run away from home because he deceived his brother out of part of their inheritance, and he also deceived his father into giving him the blessing that was supposed to be for his brother Esau. So Jacob ran away, and in the process of running away, God came to him and said, I am still with you, you still have my promise. And then Jacob went on to Haran, and he found the love of his wife. And that's what we looked at last week. Jacob found the love of his life, and he made, made arrangements to marry this woman named Rachel. And so on the wedding night, when the husband and the, the, the wife do what husbands and wives do, on the wedding night, a little trick was played on Jacob. Rachel's father decided that the older sister, Leah, should be married before the younger sister, Rachel. And so when Jacob woke up the morning after his wedding, I love how the Bible puts it, it says, behold, it was Leah. Like he thought he had married Rachel, but in the morning, it was Leah, and you can just imagine the shock that's going through his, his, his body. And so he talks to his father-in-law, he's like, what's the deal? And the father-in-law says, well, if you want to marry Rachel, you need to have Leah, and so Jacob agrees to marry them both. So we talked about that last week. And the thing that we left with, this ominous phrase that we left with last week, is this. Jacob's love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. When Rachel would walk into the room, Jacob's eyes would light up. But when Leah would walk in, she would hardly get a glance. Everyone knew that Rachel was the person in charge. And Leah, don't pay much attention to her. And when it came to this household, the, as from, from Jacob's perspective, Rachel was the trophy. Leah, she was the second or third place ribbon. Rachel got Jacob's love, Jacob's attention, and, and anything Leah got, was based off of pity and obligation. So imagine that you're Leah. Imagine that you will never have a husband who loves you and validates you and cherishes you. To you, marriage will be just an obligation that someone else had to fulfill in order to get who they really wanted to love. So as you picture this, you can see that Leah was... A nobody. And some of you know what that feels like. In fact, I think all of us know what that feels like to some degree. When I was in middle school, in sixth grade, I started playing trombone. And I was taking lessons. And my trombone teacher was really impressed. And he told my parents, you should get him like a decent trombone, like a good one with... The trigger thing. You don't need to know trombones. Some of them have a trigger, which is really cool. And so my parents got me this nice trombone. And by eighth grade, I did this competition 
uh, for an honors band. I auditioned, and I was, of all the students in Northeast Oklahoma, I was second, which you're probably wondering how many there were. There were more than two, I promise you. <laughs> I was second chair in all Northeast Oklahoma. I only got better into high school. My high school director said, hey, you should do some solos while we do band. I'm like, cool, let's do that. And then one year he said, you should audition for this high school honors band. And so I'm like, sure, I got this done this before, and so he hands me some information. I don't need to read that. I show up at the audition, and they ask me to play some scales that I had never practiced before, much less ever played before. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're asking me to do. And so I'm kind of waffling through my trombone work, and it sounds like the teacher from um, Charlie Brown. And they ask me to do the second thing, and I'm, I'm, again, trying to sound my way through it, and they're like, thank you for coming, you may leave. And I'll tell you what, I went from being a somebody to a nobody. It was almost worse than a nobody. It was like I was a nobody trying to be a somebody, but I got caught. And maybe you've gone through something similar where you thought you had this certain skill or ability and you're like, I'm really good at this. And then you stepped foot onto the field or you started working with other people who did that same thing and you're like, oh, I'm not good at all. You went from being a somebody to a nobody. Or maybe what you've experienced is you walk into a room full of people, people that kind of know you, maybe it's people at work, people at school, and it's like nobody sees you. You're just invisible. Like no one is happy to see you, no one comes up to you, and it's like you could just walk right back out of the room and nobody would notice. You're a nobody. Now, um, in Rachel and Leah's day, polygamy was an issue. Like, it's just going to be bad when you, you have multiple wives for one man. We don't really have that today, but still, if, if you're married, you can still feel like a second or third place ribbon. Maybe career, maybe children, maybe an addiction is higher up on their list than you. And you feel like a nobody. There's lots of situations in life where you can feel like a nobody, and some of you might even feel like that most of the time. And so what I want to do for you today is I want to show you what God did for a nobody named Leah. And the good news is that as the song goes by Maroon 5, she will be loved. She will be loved. But the the tale of Leah and her sister Rachel is, is cautionary. Because it shows us what happens to a person when they live believing they're a nobody. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you act. When you believe you're a nobody, it is no good for anybody. And so this cautionary tale of Leah and Rachel cautions us. Don't live like a nobody. But then in the background, you see what God is doing for people like Rachel and Leah to make them a somebody. So let's jump into where we, right where we left off last week. Right after Jacob is married and Leah and Rachel are his, here's what we see unfold. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Now you might wonder, why would her not being loved equate to God giving her the ability to have a kid? And back then, the culture was that the more children a woman could have, the more highly she was regarded by her culture. 
And this wasn't just man, uh, you know, a patriarchal society impressing this upon the women. The women actually celebrated this on their own. Like, hey, have you heard? Martha had a fifth baby. Wow, she's amazing. You know, they would, like, the, the women would talk about babies and like that was their thing. I don't, I don't get it, but that's, that's how they, they viewed things back then. And so just here's the challenge. What does this look like today? Let's say you've got a nobody. What would it take to make them a somebody? Likes, money, popularity, promotion. We know those things don't really work. God knows those things don't really work. But what is God doing for Leah? He knows that her having children won't change who she is. But she, he's, he's actually meeting her where she's at. He sees that she is unloved. And so, and so it, it's like this. Okay, if she is unloved, if, she, if she's a nobody, what would it take to make her a somebody? And so he, he decides to bless Leah in an extraordinary way. But Rachel remained childless. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And I'm going to explain the naming of these 12 sons. Uh, what, what's going to happen is they're going to find a word that kind of encapsulates what they're thinking or feeling, and then they're going to come up with a name that sounds like that word. For example, if you're pregnant and you have this thing for Cheetos, like you just have this craving for Cheetos all the time. You might name your, ch- your child Chester. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that, but that's kind of how they thought back then. Whatever is kind of going on around the birth, around the, in their mind or in their life, they picked a word that sounds similar to it. And so that's what we see for Reuben. She named him Reuben for, she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. And the Hebrew for seen my misery sounds similar to Reuben. And then she says this. This is so sad. She says, surely my husband will love me now. Surely now that I have given him a son, now will he love me? And here's what we're going to see. Throughout this entire section, Jacob is eerily silent. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't see anything. There's only one part where he has to speak, and it's because he's asked a question. But what Leah is looking for doesn't happen. And so she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard, the Hebrew word is Shema, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. I'm still not loved. And so she gave him the name Simeon which is, sounds similar to the word Shema, hear or listen. Two sons for Jacob, but still, Jacob is silent. Again, she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Three. The Hebrew word for attached is lava. So if, if it's a Valentine's Day and you're looking for a creative way to tell someone you love them, you could be like, I lava you. <laughs> I lava you. And so she said, surely this will be our anchor baby, the one that will really bring us together as husband and wife. And she, now I'll be a somebody. And so she named him Levi, lava, attachment. But still, Jacob is silent. The fourth time she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise 
the Lord. And so she named him Judah, which sounds like the Hebrew word for praise. And then for a time, she stopped having children after four sons. Now, I'm not sure if we should read too much into this, but it almost seems like there's a progression where by this fourth child, she has given up trying to have babies for her husband. And now she just says, it's not working. This time, I'm just going to praise the Lord and thank him. Maybe there's something in that for me and for you too. We think that when we get the things that'll make us a somebody, we're like, now they'll really like us. Now they'll really appreciate us. Now they'll give me respect. Now they will honor me. Now they will love me. Now they will affirm me. But it doesn't work. And so when the Lord keeps blessing you and blessing you, finally you say, you know what? I'm just going to praise him. So the first thing we see is that when you feel like a nobody, bring God into the circumstances that make you feel like a nobody, even if they're trivial. Because let's be honest, having babies didn't change who Leah was. And yet God met her in that circumstance and said, I will bless you and show love for you, even though your husband won't. So maybe for you, it's like you're really bad at math and it's embarrassing to the point where, you know, kids at school make fun of you and you feel like a nobody. And so maybe you say, God, would you please help me learn more? Would you help me in this area? I know this isn't who I am. Like my identity isn't tied to my mathematical skills, which I'm so thankful for. But would you help me in this? Bring God into the circumstances that make you feel like a nobody because God sees you. God saw Leah, God sees you, God sees the nobody who seems invisible to everyone else. And what might happen is he might actually give you what you're looking for. He might do what he did to Leah and actually give you the children you pray for. He might give you the popularity that you ask for. But what we often find is just because you get what you're asking for doesn't mean you get what you need. Yet in different ways, God shows people that he loves the nobodies. And what happened with Leah is a couple things. She had the babies that she wanted, and she did two things. Number one, she, as only women know, she destroyed her body. She, she yeah, four, four boys. That's going to do a lot of damage. Um, she, she destroyed her body. She went through a lot. Um, the second thing is, she only got the attention of her, older, or her younger sister, Rachel. And Rachel was not happy that Leah was winning. Here's what happened. When Rachel saw that she, Rachel, was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous, angry, furious, emotional, hyper-emotional. And so she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. I'm sure she said it just like that. Give me children or I'll die. Now, just a quick note. Back in that um, tradition, in that culture, they knew where babies came from. They had that class in middle school. So they they knew how babies were made. Uh, The other thing that we know is true is that their view is that it was God who enabled the woman to conceive. The the, the way they viewed it, the, the way that they were able to bring life had to be a gift from God himself. And so they, they, they understood those two things and they held them perfectly in the same place. They understood how babies are made, but they also recognized God is the giver of life. And so Jacob, when he hears this demand from his wife, Rachel, whom he loves, his trophy, 
he actually says something good. And this is the only time we hear him speak in this section. He became angry with her and he said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? If you want to talk about having kids, I'm doing my part. You need to take this up with God because this is beyond our ability. And so here's what she does. Instead of taking this to God, she takes this to Bilhah. She said, here's Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me as a surrogate and I too can build a family through her. There's my solution. Here's how I'll beat Leah at this game. So Jacob is silent. All we see is that she gave him her servant, Bilhah, as a wife. Jacob slept with her and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. I'll talk about that word in a moment. He has listened to... This makes me angry. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan, which sounds like the Hebrew word for vindicated. Now, what I see is she has manipulated the circumstances to get what she wanted, but instead she says, oh, thank you, God, for this amazing gift. Ha, huh. me of all people, how, how thoughtful. And, and it makes me angry because she has manipulated her circumstances, and then she says, it's God who did this. It's God who has vindicated me. Uh, to vindicate means that God has assessed the situation and as a judge, he has determined that Rachel is in the right. He's on her side. Is he really? Giving your husband a servant girl who's already in a complicated relationship with a polygamous marriage, adding to that a third wife, woman to, to, to lay with, is that really the way to do this? Is that really what God was hoping for? Like, is God cheering for you? And yet she named him Dan. Now all the descendants of Dan know where they came from. All right. It keeps going. It, but wait, there's more. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle, literally a God struggle, struggling with my sister. So she actually mentions the title God in this God-sized struggle. A God struggle, a great struggle with my sister. And I won. I beat her. I found a way to change the rules so I can beat her at this. And so she named him Naphtali, which sounds like the word for struggle. Well, way to go, Rachel. You won. You had your husband sleep with your servant, and she gave birth to a son, and now you're claiming credit for that. So you have to imagine Leah's looking at all this. Now, she's still up four to two, not that we're keeping score. <laughs> she's up four to two, and we're in the bottom of the third. <laughs> and you might think, oh, wow, she really had to stoop low just to even get into the game. But here's what Leah does. When Leah saw that she stopped having children, she took her servant, Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Lovely. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, oh, what good fortune. Really? And there's actually a foreign god, a false god, who has a very similar sounding name, but that doesn't seem to bother her. What good fortune, what luck. And so she named him Gad, which sounds like the Hebrew word for fortune. And she did it again. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And then Leah said, how happy I am. 
And this is really telling. The women will call me happy. She was not doing this for God anymore. This was about her. And so she named this son Asher, which sounds like the word for happy. Where is this getting us? So first of all, the 12 tribes of Israel did not have a good beginning. Their origin story is anything but heroic. And the other thing we see from this is that when you feel like a nobody, you do some things that are not very good. When you feel like a nobody, the only way to become a somebody is for somebody else to become a nobody. And you see this in work. You see this, this is like a prominent thing in our culture. We're not a very cooperative culture. We're a more competitive culture. In order to become a somebody, someone else has to become a nobody. And maybe that's why secretly, inwardly, there's this, this feeling of joy when you find somebody fail. It makes you feel good. Like maybe there's hope for a nobody like me to take their place. The only way for a nobody to become a somebody is for a somebody to become a nobody. And we see this cycle through Rachel and Leah, and it gets worse and worse and worse. So number two, my observation is that nobody wins when nobodies compete. When nobodies are in competition to become somebodies, nobody wins. Because ultimately, even the one who wins is going to have to sacrifice a lot. Rachel and Leah had to sacrifice their ethics their marriage, and a whole lot of other things along this path of competition. And this isn't doing anything for their sisterly relationship either. They both desperately want and need to be a somebody, and it costs them a lot. And I wonder what it has cost you. In your desire to be recognized or popular or loved, to be a somebody, what have you sacrificed along the way? Who have you sacrificed to become a somebody? And this is a small preview of the ultimate fix for this. Isn't to become a somebody at the expense of someone else, but for a greater somebody to become a nobody for you. More on that in a bit. You think things can't get worse. Rachel and Leah are violently in competition, and all the while, Jacob is silent. So here's a little story, an interesting story that comes out of this. Uh, during wheat harvest, Reuben, whom we assume is, is pretty young yet, uh, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants which he brought to his mother Leah. Mandrake plants uh, picture like big carrots, kind of the, the roots go down and that's the, the part that you would use. So mandrake plants. Um, Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Now, I did a little looking into mandrake plants and what makes them so important. And back then there was a superstition that mandrake plants could help women have children. I'm not sure if, uh, well, I've seen a couple options. One is to... Um, consume this, this, uh, this plant in small portions because it was highly hallucinogenic and it can make people pass out. Um, the other thing I saw is that some people took this plant and made amulets out of it because the roots often look like little humans, like with arms and legs and stuff. And so um, they would make little amulets out of this and that would superstitiously help a woman have a child. 
Okay, so just wait. It gets it gets better. It gets better. So, so 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 Rachel comes up to Leah and says, "Leah, give me some of your son's mandrake plants." And what do you think Leah's going to do? Competition? Give her the upper edge? No. And so she says, I don't want to. Leah said, wasn't it enough that you took my husband away? Will you now take my son's mandrakes? This very precious thing in their eyes. Because if there was one hope for having a child, this plant was it. And get this. Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. I'm not sure how to evaluate that. Like if, if a couple came in and said, I tried to have my, you know, sleep with my husband in exchange for her son's mandrakes. I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> but what we see Rachel doing is this. She knows how babies are made. And she knows God is the one who allows life to happen. She puts both of those things aside and says, I need me some mandrake plants. She would even forfeit a night with her husband thinking that maybe this plant could give her what she needed. That's how desperate she wanted to be a somebody. Now, here's the craziest part. So, when Jacob came in from the fields, he's just getting home from work. Leah rushes out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. I'm sure he had questions. But uh, wives out there, this might not be a bad line to use because it worked. So Jacob slept with her that night. I'm still waiting for my wife to use this line on me. Uh, I wouldn't ask questions. Um, (laughs) But this is the level to which they have now descended. Leah demanding that Jacob sleep with her because she gave Rachel some of her son's mandrake plants. This is messed up. And God should just step back from this and say, I don't want to see or hear anything else. But instead, check this out. God listened. Wow. And as you think to your own past over the stupid things you've done for the sake of becoming a somebody, God didn't plug his ears and hide his eyes. God was there. He listened. She became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has, again, makes me angry. God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. And so she named him Issachar, which sounds like the Hebrew word for rewarded. God is listening, God is blessing, even in the moment where she doesn't deserve it. And then Leah conceived again. And she bore Jacob a sixth son, counting her servant, this is now up to eight. Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time, finally, my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons, plus the two from my servant. So she named him Zebulun, which sounds like the word for honor. Sometime later, she gave birth to a daughter also and named her Dinah. And that would conclude Leah's childbearing. Finally, my husband will honor me. 
Now I'll be a somebody. And still she is running this race of believing she's a nobody. And it has only led to regret. So what I can learn from this is that success can fool you into thinking you're somebody you're not. Success can fool you into thinking that you deserve more than you deserve. And when you start to get more successful and and God is blessing what you do, you use that as an excuse to get more for yourself and cheat a little bit here or there and say, I deserve this. God is rewarding me. God is rewarding me. But when you become a somebody because of your success, that is a dangerous place to be as well. And so what we need from God We need from him the ability to become a somebody that has nothing to do with us. Because as long as it has something to do with us, either we will go to the the edge of despair or the edge of pride, and we will not like who we have become. And so as we finish up this section, finally we see this one more way where God remembered. God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. Her very first child that she's actually giving birth to. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph. And she said, may the Lord add to me another son. The word for Joseph sounds like the word for add or increase. May the Lord add to me another son. I need another son. I need another son. And For Rachel and Leah, it was this constant quest. To get Jacob's approval, they needed to have another son, another son, another son. And ultimately, Leah would, Rachel would have one more son in Genesis chapter 36, and she will die shortly after giving birth. Benjamin. That would be the 12th son of Jacob, also known as Israel. But another son. This time he'll love me. This time he'll honor me. This time he'll be attached to me. But all the while, Jacob is silent. You'd wish that this patriarch of the Israelite nation would see the harm he was causing and the abuse that he was a part of. But he was silent. But in the background, what we haven't brought much attention to yet is this. Three phrases that were lurking in the background throughout this entire section. God saw. God listened. And God remembered. And when the nobodies feel like they've been forgotten, God sees. God listens. God remembers. What Rachel ended with I need another son. She was absolutely right. No matter how many sons they would have, no number of sons would amount to anything that would finally say, lead Jacob to say, Leah, I love you. There would always be this battle between them that would never be won. But it would take another son. One who was somebody. One who was different. And when that descendant of Judah finally came, that somebody that God had promised, the son of God becoming flesh, people looked at him and listened to them and and they said, now here's a somebody. 
And they were absolutely right. They heard him preaching and teaching. They saw the miracles he performed and the way he spoke. And they said, he's different. This is a somebody. But even though they acknowledged that, they only saw a glimpse of who he really was. Because most people looked at him and they despised him. Most people said, this is a nobody. And so they finally put him to death. And there was one interesting thing. When Jesus was crucified on a cross, one of the Roman soldiers who was in charge of the crucifixion acknowledged, truly, this was somebody. Truly, this was the son of God. Because this was God's plan all along for people like you and me who go through phases where we feel like nobodies and we, we ask God to change our circumstances so that we'll be more popular or more approved of, more successful. And we bring God in those circumstances, but we still can't find a seam what we're, to find what we're looking for. It's because God has already given you what you need. He gave you a somebody who became nobody. Willingly so that he could make you somebody loved and forgiven by God. I recently read the story of Pastor Tim Keller, who was, as uh, he tells the story, he was counseling this young woman because she, she felt like she was ugly, she felt like she was unloved, unworthy, and so Pastor Tim Keller was counseling her and comforting her, and after validating what she was feeling, he got into what Jesus means for her, and he told her about Jesus. Now, how Jesus was this somebody who became nobody so, so that you, you know you're loved by God, you're valued by God. God has given you everything you need. And he basically said this, you are somebody to God. You are somebody to God. doesn't matter if no one loves you, you're somebody to God. And then she replied with this as he reports it. He, she, she replied, but what good is that if no one will go out with me? And maybe some of you are thinking this too. So what that God loves me if my spouse doesn't acknowledge me? So what if God loves me if I, I just feel like I'm meant for something, but my job, my career, my environment won't allow for it? So what if God loves me when I feel like a nobody because nobody sees me, nobody cares? And so what she acknowledged in this statement is this, that she needed two things to be a somebody. She needed Jesus and a boyfriend. And if she had both of those things, she could be a somebody. What is it for you though? Some of you are like, yep, that's me. I need Jesus and a boyfriend or Jesus and a girlfriend. Like then I'll be a somebody. Um, maybe some of you are different. Maybe you need Jesus and children and kids because as long as your family is good, then you're a somebody. You need that. You need that. Um, some of you need Jesus and a career. I need to be important in this world. And if I'm not important, then I'm not a somebody. Our common one with social media, I need Jesus and popularity, Jesus and approval. I want Jesus and likes, because as long as I have approval, then I'm somebody. But as long as you're holding on to something other than Jesus and Jesus, you're never going to be a somebody. There's always going to be half of you that's not there. So what I want to close with is this. The only way to be a somebody is with Jesus and only Jesus. Jesus and only Jesus because he is the only one who can ultimately determine your value based on what he paid for you on the cross. Jesus and only Jesus because your ability to become a somebody 
If that's up to your abilities and skills, you will never be there. But he has this all-surpassing power from God, which he has made alive in you. A resurrection power in you by faith. That makes you somebody. In addition to all that, ultimately what he has done is he has taken away the power of the grave. Because when you look at a, a sea of, of graves, if, if you look at this, this cemetery, and you see all those graves out there, you're like, wow, there's, there's a lot of people that are gone. They're nobodies now. But what Jesus did was when he gave his life for you, he took away that power of death. You are a somebody with Jesus and only Jesus. And so would you give that some thought this week? Have you been holding on to something else as your contingency plan for being a somebody? I love Jesus, but I really also need this. Would you give that some thought? And would you be willing to let Jesus take that away? Think like a somebody because you are one. Because that's who Jesus has made you to be. And we'll pick it up there next week as we get into part five of Jacob. But today I want to send you off with a prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we each struggle in our own ways with this feeling that we need to be a somebody. And that's not a bad thing to want. You created us to, to love others and to be loved by others. And so it's in relationship with others where your purpose for us is completed. But our sinful nature can take that in a bad place. We can begin to make our identity based on what we do and how we connect with others. Thank you that you see us, that you listen to us, that you remember us. I thank you that you love nobodies like Leah and Rachel and me. Would you give us some wisdom this week as we do some really serious thinking into where we find our identity? If we're holding on to something other than Jesus to be a somebody, would you at least give us an awareness of that this week? And give us the power and the strength to set that aside and just hold on to the beauty of your son, Jesus, and what he's done for us. Thank you for him. And we ask you to, to bless us with your grace and your forgiveness as we take some steps in that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.